Welcome to the Psychology of Case Management podcast, the show that helps you use psychological ideas to strengthen your relationship with your catastrophically injured clients and their professional network, so you can achieve more for your clients and feel more fulfilled in your role. Hello and welcome to today's episode. I'm Dr. Shabnam Barry Khan and today's topic is the Mental Capacity Act. It's hugely relevant for us as personal injury professionals, not least because we're always making decisions um, to support our clients and to ensure that we are doing the best and right thing for them at all times and that we're doing that with them rather than to them. There are 2 million people in the UK who are thought to lack capacity to make decisions either for their financial needs or health and welfare. And those 2 million people are cared for by around 6 million people, of which personal injury professionals will be part of. Often our clients will have deputies in place to support their financial decisions but there isn't an equivalent for health and welfare needs. But that's where we come in, particularly as case managers, to try and ensure that the support available to clients are is there so they can make those decisions, be part of the decisions that ultimately support them to live the life they want to live, having contributed to that decision and knowing that the people around them are supporting them. So I guess it's all about empowering people to make those decisions for themselves wherever possible. And it's about protecting those who do lack capacity with a framework that allows them to remain very much at the centre of the decision making process. I think capacity is a really interesting topic, but it's quite complicated at the same time. And sometimes the complexity can make us want to sort of shy away from it as it's a massive responsibility, isn't it? So in order to help us navigate through the Mental Capacity Act, um, I um, have had the very lovely fortune of being able to speak to Eleanor Tallon, who is a qualified best interest assessor. And uh, we had such a lovely chat that, uh, and it ended up being quite a long chat. Uh, so what we've done is we've, we've actually got two episodes with Eleanor. The present one, the current one, is um, more around the Mental Capacity Act um, and the sort of theory and, and ideas behind it. And the next episode will be more around the sort of application of the Mental Capacity Act. And again, Eleanor kindly has uh, allowed us to sort of split the two episodes up. So they, they kind of cover both of these, these things to help us make sense of it all. So without much ado, um, please welcome Eleanor to the mic. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Shabnam. Thanks for asking me to come and speak. Oh, not at all. Not at all. I'm hoping that you're going to have heard uh, my description of finding it fascinating, but also frightening, not uncommon. Absolutely. Um, you know, as we've spoken before, you know, there's a lot of professionals out there that, you know, are still quite hesitant in terms of, 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 of using it and um, or, or you know it does it does get um, maybe overlooked and and this is this is you know there is really a drive um, well I'm very passionate about you know ensuring that you know the Mental Capacity Act is, is followed it's been around for for quite a while now 2005 well it was implemented in 2007 but there is um, still a lot of education that needs to happen I mean certainly from my perspective in social care um, you know, there is still a lot of learning to do. And um, across the board, there's a lot of promotion um, to try to, you know, 
speed things up, speed, you know, get people clued up and ensure that everybody's rights are protected, um, mm. you know, as part of as part of any work that we do. Well, what a privilege then to have someone who actually knows their beans when it comes to this and um, <laughs> is willing to talk on a podcast about it. And obviously falling on the side of fascinated about it rather than fearful of it. Yeah, so, yeah. not so scary. No, it, I know. Yeah. I know you keep saying this to me and I, I want to believe you. And I think I will by the end of this episode, but oh, you'll so. have to bear with. But tell yeah. me, how did you get into it? And, um, you know, uh, what what's your sort of pathway into to, um, into to, to being a, a qualified, I didn't even know you could get a qualification, but um, yeah. a qualified best interest assessment, assessor? Well, my, my background, as, as I've alluded to, is, is social care. So I, I, um, I'm, I'm a qualified social worker. I'm qualified about 13, well, over 13 years ago now as a social worker. Um, and then around seven years ago, um, I did, um, I, I went back to University of Huddersfield um, to do some further postgraduate qualif- qualifications to become a qualified best interest assessor. So, yeah, I um, and then I've worked within kind of dolls teams since since that time, which is kind of more specialist at, at you know, actually working within the de- deprivation of liberty safeguards and applying applying that. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm, and I'm just about to um, embark on a new career, actually, which is quite exciting. Um, so mm. I am going to be joining yourself and others in the world of um, personal injury case management. Um, but, yeah. That's still still to happen, still to unfold yet. I've met my lovely new team, Social Return, so I'm really excited about it. But yeah, there's 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 lots to learn and hopefully lots to to share as well from from my you know my background and you know my specialism really, which is obviously you know mental capacity. Yeah, amazing. And I think you're 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 really well placed actually. Um, I can see that already to be a case manager, and and I'm really. Um, curious about already I've got I've got a question in my mind <laughs> you say we've, we've talked and I've said it already in this in this episode we've talked about best interest and we've talked about mental capacity act so tell us a little bit about the, the sort of background of the mental capacity act and, and how best interest fits into that well I guess I mean the you know the act was created um fundamentally to to empower kind of vulnerable people um, who you know may not be able to make their own decisions. It was it was it was kind of an act to pr- protect those people who maybe couldn't make their own decisions. But it's also part of it is isn't just about protecting people who can't make decisions. It's about promoting empowerment of people that may have a you know a mental impairment but can actually make their decisions. So a lot of the focus is around kind of supported decision making and you know. Also worth worth mentioning with with the with the act came um, the the new court of protection, so mm. a lot of things kind of stem from that. And you asked about best interests, um, and I suppose the one thing that I would say is um, it doesn't fit in as as much as it is an addition. It is an add on. So you know mm. when when we're thinking about capacity and you know um, well the mental capacity act and working with people. We should never really think about making best interest decisions until we've really applied, you know, the the well, the first there's, there's five principles within within the act, um, and the first principle that everybody must work, you know, t- towards is that you must assume someone has capacity to make their own decisions and work along that premise. Um, so, you know, you wouldn't be making or thinking about best interest decisions whatsoever until you'd actually 
you know, taken the steps to um, assess the capacity um, and, you know, recorded and, and made, a, made a decision that they, that they lacked capacity. And then you were to kind of enter into that world of, of best interests. So, uh, as I said, it's not, it's not so much as is it fitting into it, it's more as a process of, you know, mm. so that, that's something that needs to be really kind of recognised um, because it's very easy for professionals to kind of start talking about best interests when they haven't actually, you know, evidenced or, you know, concluded that the person is, is not able to make their own decision. So, um, so I think the focus, you know, really for, for everybody within, you know, within a professional endeavour would be to look at, think about, mainly think about supported decision-making. Yeah, so, I mean, the principle, the first principle, as I said, was about assuming capacity, but it, can, it, it ties in quite nicely um, to the second principle which yeah. is that you must take every, you know, make every effort to support the person to make a decision and, um, you know, take all practicable steps um, to, to enable, I mean, enable the person to make a decision. That second principle um, is really, really, really important. And I think that should be the overriding concern for everybody, um, you know, working with somebody who may have a, you know, mental impairment of any sort. And that, that is basically um, that you, you, you take any action, you know, anything that enables the person to understand, retain, weigh up and communicate the decision. So anything that supports someone to, to, to do that, you know, that's, that's where you should be focusing your energies before you think about best interests. Yeah, and that, and that is going to look so different for every single client I know on my caseload um, and therefore I would imagine every single client out there. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's lots of ways of obviously, you know, supporting somebody to make a decision and, and it, it really depends on what, what, where their skills and where their difficulties are, you know, mm-hmm. so you might be thinking about communication, um, communication aids, you know, I don't know what, whatever, whatever means of communication the person uses. Um, you know, there's, 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 there's lots of different things and, and even looking at having, um, you know, an interpreter there or an advocate or, or even a family member who, who makes a person feel more comfortable and can kind of speak to the person in their own terms, um, mm. you know, in their own terms of reference. That's interesting that you say that about a family member. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of mi- um, minded to think about some of the clients that I've, you know, I've worked with um, in the past and I'm family members it's it's quite that in itself is quite a tricky assessment to make isn't it as to who truly is going to be able to get the best out of them without being um partial basically yeah Yeah, I think I think there's sometimes it is um you know it's it's something that you have to consider because actually family members being present could completely overthrow you know the the process in terms of you know there's sometimes our overbearing family members Mm. who might want to take you know take decisions on on behalf of the person um, I mean, if they've got less than power of attorney and that's, you know, within their scope, within their legal authority, if they've got um, less than power of attorney of, of health and welfare and they're making decisions about the, the, you know, the care and whatnot, then that's obviously, you know, fine because that's, 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 that's legal. However, if, if they don't, there's, you know, the responsibility is on yourself as an assessor, whether that be, you know, an, a, a nurse, social worker, case manager, whoever's assessing the person. Um, you know, you have um, a duty to um, look at, you know, can, can the person consent and make the, the, the decision about whatever it is you're assessing them for? You know, so if that, if that means that you need to speak to the person on their own, 
then it's about having you know and, and if you if you do have like carers or family members who um are quite you know robust and want to be quite you know at the forefront of the decision making process then um i think it's just really about having those sensitive kind of discussions with the family member um and pointing out that you know there is a duty a legal duty under the mental capacity act that you do have to um try to identify if a person can make their own decision and that's sometimes you know is 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 done best when there is like a one to one um with with the person with the assessor but again that's you have to judge each, each case by its own merits and if if that's necessary then you would do that or if it's if the person having care is there is supportive then you would do that that's the thing about capacity um and it, it is very much an individual you know assessment and 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 everybody has to be seen on an individual basis and you know different specifications will apply at what age does the mental capacity act apply so it, it, it applies to anyone over the age of 16 right so absolutely anyone over the age of 16 who may have a you know a mental impairment of some 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 description yeah interesting and and there isn't so i know you're saying that you know you've got to assume that everyone has capacity are there any sort of golden rules not golden rules that's not quite the right phrase but are there any particular circumstances where you can err on the side of capacity is is lacking I don't know someone who can't who's working memory for example is so impaired that they're unable to sort of hold on to the information and then pull it all together and that sort of meta holding that we have to do so you know capacity is um more likely to be lacking and people with with that that particular presentation does that make sense it does make sense um but i guess the answer fundamentally is no unless somebody is in a complete state of you know unconsciousness so therefore mm-hmm. you could assume that they they'd lack capacity to you know to make a decision about a, x y or z you know even even if somebody is in um as really profound communication difficulties you must take steps to you know try to engage with them in a way that they can perform in any way so you know even if it's just blinking an eye or slight squeeze of a hand or um anything that that you know shows some indication of 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 a, of a response you have to go down that route because actually even if they lack capacity through the process of trying to assess their capacity you're going to elicit what what kinds of things mm. They may want you know that because it's not just about you know the, the thing about the capacity act is not just about saying right this person lacks capacity so therefore we do this 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 and this the the onus is to find out what the person wants and what their wishes and and what their you know what their feelings are on on, on a certain subject so there's a so the duty to, to 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 collect that information to collect that information and you know and work towards what they want i'm, I'm skipping out principle three but we'll move to principle four which is is um best interests you know that that anything you do is in the person's best interests and best interest is about what that person would want for themselves so when you're making a best interest decision if you've not gone through a process to you know assess their capacity and assess what 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 they would want how can you make a best interest decision that doesn't um include and isn't you know revolving around what they actually would want for themselves so the answer you know is is no you should never presume incapacity 
that you know that's part and parcel of the act itself um, mm-hmm. and and best interest um decision making is it, you know there's a checklist um to follow as well which you know looks at pr- not making any presumptions based on the person's age um a disability you know different there's different characteristics that are that are, that are listed but basically the, the the underlying message is don't make presumptions you know do do the work get the discourse or whatever it is you know get the interaction collect the information even if it's somebody that can't give any reliable information themselves you know to get to understand what what the person wants it would be a, a process of speaking to the people that know them very well looking at the records in terms of what you know what what they might have said in the past for example you know, getting information from people that may work with them so that you've got an idea of what their behavior implies and yeah just get you know getting going through the process is 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 really important in in every single situation really yeah definitely and it, it lends itself to the idea <clears throat> as well which is something that you know we would do naturally anyway in in personal injury but the um, the importance of record keeping and being able to go back to your records not just for your own sort of working out as to the uh, the outcome that you you find you know you finally decide but also um in the events that perhaps uh, new information comes to light or um uh, you know uh, or someone challenges the decision i guess as well you've got yeah. you're working out there because uh, I can imagine that's kind of part of the uh you know the the the, the teaching I suppose of, of of doing the the MCA uh, yeah and I would always advocate that you um should you know when when you're discussing or going through a, an assessment process or recording information recording whatever that you make it very clear where somebody um you know is able to make their own decision and what their wishes are so that that can be reflected on if at, at, at a later date they, they you know they, they, they lose capacity or are, are unable to tell you things that they, they they could tell you at the moment because having a record of it is you know is, is the best way to you know to, it's the it's the most reliable way mm. to be able to base a, a best interest decision you know basing it on some some written evidence but incapacity having a record is absolutely essential um, and it's a requirement of you know of the law that you do um, record um, if you have if there is you know concerns or doubts about capacity then you know you would obviously follow the process in terms of doing a capacity assessment and you need a, a clear recording of that. It makes me think about how grey actually this area is in terms of um, the, the the kind of line between capacity, unwise decision, risk and then of course safeguarding and how that's all kind of flavours of the same, it's not a very good analogy, but you know what I mean. They're all sorts yeah. of shades of the same colour kind of thing. I mean, it, like, like you said, it's, yeah, it's a grey area. I mean, unwise decisions, um, I mean, that I'll just point out that that is principle three, so we're kind of backtracking. But oh, yeah. Three, <laughs> you know, because, um, well, I mean, I just, you know, it's, it's, it's really important to, to, to be aware of the fact that people can make unwise decisions and you know, if you if you have gone through a process and followed, you know, the, the capacity assessment, which is a, is a two stage test, essentially, you know, that someone would would need to be, you know, seen as well. There would be an identified, um, or or the person would be presenting with some kind of um, impairment of of mind. But the but yeah, the the the, the test, the functional test, would have to be 
you know gone through and completed and and only then if 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 the person can understand you know the the information that's relevant and if they can retain it and weigh up risks i mean that's a big area sometimes that's where where things can sometimes fall down you know in terms of weighing up the risk but but if they can weigh up the risks and communicate that then they would have um capacity to make their own decision um, so even if that decision is is an unwise one, so you know other people might feel that oh it's, it you know presents a level of risk, but actually that's something that needs to be respected if 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 they have capacity to make a, that specific decision. However, you know that's not kind of a um, you know a green light to say don't try and help or or support the person if if they are placing themselves at risk. Um, you know, if someone has capacity and makes a capacitous decision to do something which is felt to be risky, um, and you know, and you know, I don't know, mixing with unscrupulous people, or they're having, mm. you know, doing things that harm their health, or whatever it is, um, then the the process that I would follow certainly, you know, would be to try to mitigate the risks and try to support the person, you know, on their terms with their consent, try to maybe a team involved in like a, a plan that tries to support them or, or reduces the level of risk, you know, so it's not about trying to prevent the behaviour itself, because if that's what they want to do and they've got capacity to do it, then, um, you know, to make the decision to do it, then they, they, they shouldn't be prevented from doing the thing, but maybe the risks around that should be looked at and to see if there's anything that can be, you know, done to, to, soften the blow I guess mm. um, in terms of any harm although in that there is the caveat that if um you know if it's a safeguarding risk where where you know you feel that the person is is, is at significant risk of harm um then obviously actions would would need to be taken in terms of looking at safeguarding you know potentially reporting it to to, to the lead agency um you know depending on what what the risks were you would, you know, obviously maybe discuss and seek advice from uh, your social social care safeguarding, or if it's really, if it's up there with a in terms of a criminal act, obviously, you know, it's police kind of mm. um, intervention. But yeah, so it it is a grey area, but it's one that, and it's one that's very can be subjective, and you know, making unwise decisions, you know, might one one decision for one person might not be the mm. same, might not be unwise to another. Um, depending on your value base and I think that's something that you have to take into consideration that you know not everybody has the same values as 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 yourself um mm. and particularly within a cultural context it, you know things might be very different so you know it's it's having a really balanced um just kind of looking at it reflecting on it and discussing it with you know your peers and your supervisors as to you know where where to draw the line really you know, is this unwise? Is this safeguarding? Is this, I mean, obviously, if you've assessed that the person lacks capacity, then even with that, that's not necessarily to say that you should stop them or try to prevent them from doing whatever it is. It depends on how, again, it depends on the level of risk and how disproportionate that risk is to, you know, the benefits of what, what, what the person's doing, you know, mm -hmm. because actually taking some risks is, is, is sometimes really good and helps you to learn things about life you know there's lots wow. of things I've done yes. in my life <laughs> that I you know I'd never said that I regret anything because actually I've learned from that and you learn from mistakes you learn from situations that are uncomfortable you know and it's part of life isn't it we can't mm. you cannot 
prevent all risks you can't you know remove all risks from life you know it's mm. it's that's 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 the way life is we have to you know sometimes we just have to manage things uh, manage risk in the best way that we can really yeah there's something about safety versus <clears throat> miserable blimming life yeah, <laughs> in, and, in that balance really. yeah i mean there's, there's the whole kind of um in in the in the dolls kind of remit we have um a, a, a very well-known um quote from from Mumbai, which is um, what's the what's the use of being um, safe if it if it merely makes you miserable? Huh. Um, yeah, something along those lines. Might, <laughs> yeah, that, that might not be word perfect, but you know, basically, the you know the essence of that is it risks in life. Um, you know, present yeah, they present sometimes they're, they're quite fun. <laughs> yeah. You know, actually, you know, if I never had a glass of wine and had never you know fallen over at that party or whatever. I wouldn't have that story to tell, um, you know. So it's kind of it's it's one of those things, isn't it? That you know we're, we're all human, and hum- humanity is about risk taking, and the focus is about disproportionate risk, um, mm. you know, and it's about safeguarding risk, um, and you know we, we've got to kind of focus on positive risk taking. I, I do kind of try mm. to promote that. Um, it's good practice, I would say, to you know. To, to, to take some risks it is good it's it's good to do that but again it's about mitigating any risks that would cause you know a serious or significant level of harm yeah no I see that and positive risk taking is a phrase I've heard before and it almost sounds um oxymoronic if that was indeed a term <laughs> yeah you yeah, know how could it be tomorrow, positive yeah. and yeah an oxymoron <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you know how could it be positive but also risky at the same time doesn't quite make sense but I do see what you're saying it's about mitigating that and uh, thinking about it in terms of what could be lost lost yeah. against what could be gained and thinking about um, you know what what the the sum of the, the you know that that calculation would be ultimately and if it's siding yeah. on this on you know more beneficial than disadvantageous then um, mm-hmm. I think you've got your answer effectively um, right there and that's something that um certainly as a best interest assessor you always would do um you know you'd actually do a, a balance sheet as part of the um assessment as part of the dolls assessment you actually write out a balance sheet to make a decision um for the person you know in terms of what 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 your recommendation would be um and I think that's um, an amazing bit of kit really it's a big it's a good mm. thing having your toolkit is to actually you know sit down and 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 write those lists as to you know what but also when you're doing a balance sheet um it's always you've got to be able to really make it clear that those things that the person wants and those things that are important to the person they tip the scales you know they tip the scales much more than what um the professional might feel is is, mm. is so it's what, not just fact, about the quantity of uh, the different uh, yeah, the sort of pros and cons. It's yeah. about how they're weighted as well. The distribution of weight is much more yeah. is much larger and and heavier when when the person has got something to say. You know, mm. if, you know, sometimes it's difficult to actually ascertain any 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 wishes from someone because it might be that the person has you know always had a profound disability or mm. you know profound communication problem that so it can be. You know, it can be quite hard to get get that voice, but you know, certainly when you have um, somebody who's able to tell you this is important to me, I want to do this, then that is where you put the weight 
in terms of even if they lack capacity. So, you know, it, obviously you would work around that if they have capacity, but even if they lack capacity, that is what you're still working around. And, you know, you, you'd, you'd want to try to, you know, encompass that um, or mm. at least replicate as much of what they want within the kind of the option that is decided in the best interests. Um, so, you know, it might be that they're not, they're not getting exactly what they want, but you, you, you try to, you know, have as much of a reflection of what they want within, you know, the option that, that's, that's concluded as, as, you know, the best interests. Mm-hmm. No, got it, got it. Ooh, interesting, interesting stuff. Have we done, we haven't done all five principles, have we? We haven't. We haven't no. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm ca- quite um, methodic here because I've, you know, got my materials set out and I've kind of got principles. <laughs> but it's, it's fine. I'm, I'm spontaneous. We can go yeah, from I one love to, it. Three to five. <laughs> so, yeah, so we've, we've we, yeah, we've, we've spoken about best interests, kind of, and, and unwise decisions. So those are principles three and four. Um, but then, yeah, the, the, the final principle uh, principle five is least restrictive um, you know that anything that's done on behalf of the person is 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 the least restrictive option and again I suppose we've, we've already covered that because that ties well with the best interest option and what I've said about um, you know making sure that everything is in line with what the person would want or at least as close to that as as is possible and as is you know safe basically and yeah, I mean that 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 just because obviously being being least restrictive is, I mean we can look at it in terms of you know having less restrictions on them. So it may be you know physical restrictions, or it may be you know restrictions on what they can do and where they can go. But essentially, the, the least restrictive option is going to be the thing that they want the most, if you know what I mean. So if you want something, mm-hmm. um, if you want to do something you're gonna if somebody stops you in any way that's gonna feel like a restriction you know so anything that's in 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 as much you know is, is aligned with what you want that's going to be less restrictive than something completely different so yeah so I mean there is a massive um yeah there's 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 a motivation um I mean case law has kind of built up um, over time and, and you know the 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 onus is within best interest decision making to focus on the person's wishes and try to promote those and that will you know subsequently be the least restrictive option yeah no I see that and it's really interesting because in my mind the first thing that came into my head was you know physical restraint um, or some kind of physical barrier to, yeah. um, to achieving the goals but actually there's an emotional component as yeah. you've yeah. talked about. We look at it in dolls and, you know, restrict- restrictions, uh, well, in essence, is being, you know, certainly kind of deprived of the liberty in, in a, say, mm. a care home setting where there's maybe, you know, the, a locked door, so there's a secure exit that they can't leave without, you know, without permission. Um, you know, there's people there kind of observing, supporting them, um, but fundamentally they're, they're, they're controlled and supervised at all times. Um, so those are massive restrictions on someone's um, someone's liberty, and you know, and then there's other things such as yeah, um, you know, restrictive equipment, restrictive medication. Um, you know, sometimes you can find people having a high level of medication when it's not actually needed. I suppose that's the the beauty of the the best interest assessor role is is to look at trying to um, reduce any restrictions which aren't required. So. 
you know, the, the, the actual deprivation of liberty would, would only be authorised on the basis of it being least restrictive. Um, mm-hmm. So there may be things that need to be removed or changed for that to be, you know, an authorised deprivation of the liberty. But that can apply, I guess, to any situation in the community, because um, obviously deprivations of liberty can occur in the community. Indeed. Um, yeah. And if they do, obviously that that at the moment um, would be something that would be um, need to go to the Court of Protection to um, to authorise. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can see. I can see how that. Yeah, that's a, it's a really in some ways it's very again. It's not really clear at the end of the day, but actually there's something a bit more tangible. I think about that last principle in my mind. Um, uh, uh, You referenced um, uh, the cultural sort of factors and cultural context, which is, as you know, my jam when it comes to kind of understanding uh, some of the things that we talk about uh, uh, in case management, certainly, and and, um, supporting clients. Culture is um, it's something we want to be aware of something we want to bring into our decision making mm. and our understanding of course as a, as a uh, you know exactly yeah, as a very basic um uh, you know approach and I'm just wondering how you would bring that you know how, how you would try and remain open-minded and, and thoughtful around you know cultural practices yeah. and um sort of I guess sort of misfit of one culture into kind of your own culture whatever your own culture yeah. might be as an assessor um I mean well it, it would it would be you know something that you'd 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 bear that in mind with with any situation because you know in terms of I suppose some situations may have um much more of a strong you know cultural theme that needs to be unpicked whereas others others you know might not but in any situation you you cannot make any assumptions based on you know culture or um behaviors or whatnot or whatnot but i think when cultural um expectations for example might come into play then you know you have to really research that and and understand the person's um situation on on its merits i mean i know that you know there's um there's there's different maybe cultural norms you know people might feel more compelled to do certain things in different situations maybe depending on the the, the culture um i mean it's 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 something it's something that has to be unpicked on its merits it's difficult to kind of say you know without giving a specific example for example you know that that we could maybe dis- discuss um it's it's hard really to to say anything specific but i would just say that each and every person that you assess for capacity um, and certainly for best interests as well if, if that's ne- if that's necessary then you would have to take into consideration whether the person's culture was was um, intrinsic to what they would want and sometimes it is you know it might be that religious issues are very are very you know at the forefront of of of, of the decision making process you know, there's 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 lots of different cases that you you know in terms of cases that may have gone through court protection where you know there's a massive amount of work being done to really understand um, a person's you know cultural background um, you know and what they would want. Yeah, in some ways, the, the principle for this this best interest aspect is um, it's quite. I mean, it's it's quite chunky and juicy, isn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, you can have some really, um, yeah, really interesting debates when it comes mm. to uh, capacity and best interest. And I think, you know, that's, that's why I am so kind of passionate about the subject, because I, I mean, I'm very much aligned, you know, human rights is my bag, I guess, um, yeah. you know, and, and this is why, and, and, and capacity, best interest is, you know, Mental Capacity Act in itself is, is, you know, it's a reflection of supporting someone to, you know, to protect their human rights. So that's why I guess I've, I, I've come to this point in terms of specialising in this area. But also I, I've got a really, I've got a bit of an interest, I'm a bit, bit of a geek really, and I do a lot of, um, <laughs> I do a lot of reading around court of protection cases. Um, I've been reading a lot of the, the Open Justice Project blogs. Oh, yeah. Which, yeah um, well, I've kind of got, got involved a little bit, but hoping to get involved a bit further with that. Because it's just it just really fascinates me, and some of the some of the things that are discussed as part of, of, of the court hearings, court of protection hearings, are so the the issues presented. It really helps to define for me to define my practice because you know it it, it gives you a, a clear cut, very specific, you know what what is the the best practice, what is the best way to work um, in in certain situations because. Because this is where, you know, this is where the guidance really comes from and this is how it's, how it's shaped through case law, you know, through, through judgments that are handed mm-hmm. down. Um, you know, we have, we've all heard of certain judgments, we've all heard of certain, you know, case, cases um, and, and that's what defines our practice. So, yeah. No, I can see, I can I feel it. I really do from you. Um, and I'm so glad that, <laughs> that you do enjoy it as, and, and, and find that it connects with your value, I guess, of, you know, basic human rights, I suppose. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, it's something about ethics and morals within that as well, um, yeah. of, you know, doing and best practice, etc. No wonder you went as far as qualifying in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I've still got a journey to go to go on now. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's been it's been great. It's been a, it's been such an interesting um, career, you know, best interest assessment. But you know, I suppose, I suppose like with anything, it is really nice to have a new challenge and apply the skills that I've learned, um, you know, within that, within that context into a different kind of um, sector. And I'm hoping that I would be able to kind of make a more meaningful kind of impact, you know, on a more personal level, you know, because I think uh, certainly in social and healthcare, you know, frontline services, there are limited resources. And, and I think sometimes, you know, it is just, it's nice to maybe take a, a step out of um, statutory services and just explore, you know, the different, different ways of working with people um, and certainly within the personal injury um, kind of, you know, environment. I feel that there's, 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 there's a lot of really valuable work being done on, on, on quite a person-centred, you know, level. Not that that, that doesn't happen in, in, in other sectors, which it does, but I just feel that there's, there's probably more opportunity to just spend that little bit more time and 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 be more um yeah just just have have more of a personal Im- impact and and be for it to be a little bit more meaningful perhaps I don't know well I know I think I think all of that is is fair and 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 possibly true to be honest with you um, I kind of feel that that last principle is kind of embedded in a lot of um, the previous uh, principles particularly yeah. in uh, the best interest one actually yeah. in my mind and 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 so it's almost obviously something you've got to bear in mind but actually it's 
it, it could feel quite repetitive because you, in terms of the evidence for, you know, the least restrictive options um, yeah, being yeah, part I've, of the sort of um, decisions and the process around uh, certainly principle four, I would have thought. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I mean, the principles, are, they aren't a process. They are, you know, five principles within the, themselves and can, you know, can, you can be interlinked and interdispersed. Um, they're not, you know, the process of, of mental capacity assessment and best interest is a process. You know, there's steps yeah, to follow sure. and best interest um, decisions would only ever follow on from, um, you know, an evidence lack of incapacity. But the five principles are very much, you know, the kind of just there in their own right and can, you know, they can, they're not linear in the, uh, I mean, the, you know, you can roughly go through them, I suppose, when, when you, maybe when you're doing a mental capacity assessment in some ways, but actually, you know, you kind of, you can flip from one principle to another and because they are quite heavily, you know, linked to each other. Yeah. Um, I kind of know. see them as overlapping circles in a sort yeah, of Venn certainly. diagram. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly, definitely. Um, and as I said before, that you know, the first two is 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 something that everyone, we all should be considering. You know, anywhere before we even kind of think about mental capacity. Um, so yeah, yeah. Oh, um, Eleanor, uh, really interesting to hear you talk. A lot has been said, and I'm just wondering if you could reflect back over, you know, the what you've said. I'm just wondering what would your three take-home points be to our personal injury audience um, in terms of mental capacity, in terms of best interests, in terms of the process and the principles. Well, I guess I mean I've probably said this a thousand times already, but um, I, you know, there's 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 no no reason not to reiterate again, and mm. I suppose that you should never ever um, take any actions um, in terms of best interests unless you know the person that you, you, you're working with has been assessed as lacking capacity on that specific decision. So yeah, just kind of remembering that the focus is always supported decision-making rather than mm-hmm. best interests. And then if you do get to the best interest um, decision point, um, that always remember that the primary consideration is what's most important to that person. And then I guess the third um, and final thing to take away would be that it is never a one size fits all approach. And, you know, professionals should never kind of make any kind of blanket decisions in terms of best interests. Um, It's always, you know, it always needs to be a really person centred and risk versus benefit um, analysis. So, you know, best interest is not just a you know a kind of it's almost um it's not it's not an exact science certainly Mm. certainly not (laughs) Um, and and it is on a balance of probabilities you know it doesn't but it is kind of a weighing up and taking a logical approach and being fair and using you know lots you know lots the input from everyone who's involved really to try to you know make a really good sound rationale for why why something might be in best interests yeah and don't forget positive risk taking that's far things isn't it yes but, oh there you go <laughs> bonus points take, 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 so take a goodie bag take a goodie bag instead of food. <laughs> just taking that you know yeah take a goodie bag so yeah positive please risk. <laughs> yeah positive risk taking yeah love it that's brilliant that's been fantastic thank you so much for imparting your qualified and experience on uh, you know the mental capacity act um best interest um and the assessment that 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 um, entails 
Um, I never thought someone could sit so passionately in a sort of such a grey area and <laughs> <laughs> of thought of processing, you know, sort of thinking and and um, and I think it's 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 really uh, fascinating stuff actually. Um, and I, I certainly look out for how case management will benefit massively from your your introduction to to it and 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 the skills that you're going to bring. You're, it's brilliant. So well, thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you to you. And just to say, your podcast has been so valuable to me. You know, in terms of you know working out um, what what I might need to know and need to think about as a case manager. So thank you for that. Oh wow! Thank you so much, Eleanor. That's really amazing to hear, and has completely made my day. I really can't ask for more than that. So let's say that this is let's wind it up for today's episode and um, invite everyone to uh, come back for part two which will be the next episode drop in which we apply the mental capacity act to um, a case that Eleanor brings to the table so um, I guess I will say bye for now and see you next time before you go If you enjoyed the episode today, I'd really appreciate it if you could rate it on whatever platform you're listening on and share and like on your social media profiles. Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow and to be a continuous resource for all. And if there's any topic you wish for us to cover, please drop us a line on our website. Thank you so much for all your support. 